Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel. And I'm here today with DeAndre Wilson. I'd like to first of all welcome you, DeAndre. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. And uh, why don't you start with just telling our listeners a little bit about your background? My background that is so broad. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, we talk about we can get into hospitality, we can get into documentary, the tire, Bedford collab, all those different things. But I want to separate myself from those things also. So my background is just simply being um, from the south side of Evansville, born and raised. I'm a, I'm a laid back kind of guy. I like to hang out with the friends. I, I love I'm, I love taking naps. Like <laughs> that that is my love language. Definitely love good snacks as well. Um, I have a interesting uh, movie collection. I love to collect movies. It's kind of like the I don't know if I want to call it like, like a nerd, but I do kind of bug out over good movies and want to like get like the special director's cut because I'm interested about all of those things. Um, love to go on walks as well. Deep in thought, love to go and, and, and think about think different things. This is a whole different environment when you're like in the woods or something or on a hiking or trails. And then also when you're out walking, you get to learn so much about yourself and other things. So. And those are the things I enjoy doing. I, so many times I think we get caught up with what we do for our profession, where it's like, um, I'm a human being first, so I want to separate that. We can get into all the boring things about my profession later. It's pretty cool, don't get me wrong, but like, I'm DeAndre, I'm a human, and I do like these like naps and walks and things. Awesome. Well, I, uh, DeAndre, like you, am a napper, yes. and I'm definitely an advocate for the power nap. Power so nap. I'm more of a 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Kind of napper. Are you a are you a power napper or a long? Like a napper? thirty forty five. Okay. Yeah. Did you know that there was some like stats on the fact that the more naps you take, the more memory you lose? I totally disagree with that. Really? I think my memory is like supreme level to the fact that where all my my business partners ask me, you remember this thing? You remember that? Can you help me with that? And I'm like finishing their sentences for them and remembering things that they've forgotten. I think naps help with your memory. Mm, I, I think the power nap is really important for my concentration. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a very early morning uh person. Mm-hmm. So I wake up Wait, early. How early. I mean like five. Okay. But I often start working right after that. Mm-hmm. And so by two o'clock or something, I mean I've already been at it for, for sure. For uh, almost a, a full work day. So yeah. I need a little bit of a power nap. Yeah, and um, as you mentioned, in terms of taking walks, like I think that's a really important thing for me too mm-hmm. to like kind of re-energize, to center myself, to yeah. think, and I try to do it as much as I can, disconnected from any device. Mm-hmm. So I just have some time in my thoughts and have some time to observe nature yes. and what's yes. around me, and yeah. I find that like a very calming, relaxing experience. No, that's that's true. Observing nature and people, because you can learn a lot from that too. Or, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Sure. 
No, that's helpful. And I, I love how you talked about like separating yeah. the human yeah. from what you do. Mm-hmm. And so often we define ourselves by what we do. Right. Um, like, what if I change jobs tomorrow, then what? Right. Your identity totally changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like and, I, and I think that's a tough thing to, you mentioned bringing that up because I, I, I think that can be a really hard thing for people the leaders that identify with their their job and then they retire or they yeah change jobs i know even for me when i was when i had an employer and then i went to self employed right. and went to full time consulting all of a sudden people would ask me what i do and i almost couldn't answer the question mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz i was so used to just answering well i you know i'm the president here yeah so that's a, that's been an adjustment for me. For sure. And it's an adjustment for other people as well because they will label you so that they can fast or quickly comprehend um, what you do. And it's just like, well, that's just a job. I could leave tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been really involved with this effort in TB Park neighborhood yeah. Yeah. Uh, called Bedford Collab. Yeah. And uh, I know you've been working hard at this for years now. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd love to love to tell you, love to hear a little bit more about how you got to that point. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you mentioned hospitality, you had a background in hospitality. Yeah, yeah. And then you realize there really is a a need here mm-hmm. in the community for something like the Bedford Collab. So maybe tell that journey from hospitality to now with Bedford Collab. Yeah, well, certainly buckle up because it's been a long time coming. <laughs> First, I'll give a shout out to Merrick and Jeff who've allowed me to drag them along on this journey and drag them through all the ups and downs, over all the bumps, everything to get where we're at today. But in college, you know, Jeff and I, we wanted to start a food truck and a catering business and we set out to do that. And we were actually catering. You know, we actually saw a little bit of profit. We were functioning. But throughout all of those different hurdles, we transitioned through three different kitchens. My house, PG, and um, um, Island Ice, which is now Burger Hoosier Cole and South Green River Road. So we've gone through three different kitchens. Unfortunately, we were kicked out. And at that point, I went down this rabbit hole with Jeff again, dragging him through some more stuff trying to figure out where we're going to get this kitchen from. Um, later on, met Merrick, and we talked about, you know, we're going to, Evansville needs a shared-use kitchen. We're, we're behind, of course, which is nothing new to people living in Evansville. We know we're behind on most things. So then Merrick and I started a business plan. We started traveling to learn about shared-use kitchens. And then here we are today. That's been a three-year process within itself. Started in 2020. Here we are today. Construction has started on the building, but the journey and the hurdles and the transitions and the pivoting and going down this path, when that path closes, uh, it's been, I would say, a total of, gosh, maybe 10 years. Wow. Just from like the college slash turntable to Bedford Collab, I, it's been a lot. And tell me, so Jeff and Merrick, maybe share their last names and information for the... For the yeah. Uh, so Merrick Korak, he is the co-developer with me on the Bedford Collab project. And then Jeff is the head chef for Turntable. It's a catering business that we have. And uh, Jeff's the chef, like I mentioned. I'm not. I know that breaks a lot of people's hearts um, that I can't be everything, <laughs> but I'm choosing not to be that, especially. So that's Jeff's job. 
Um, you don't want me cooking for you because I'll burn it. I'll burn everything. I don't know how to do those things. So I listen to Jeff. But he's been he's been good in that aspect. So if you see all the pictures on social media, he did that, not me. Of course, Merrick has been a really great uh, project partner on Bedford Collab. Um, he can he has a lot of skill sets that I don't possess. So he's made a really great partner, made me look good in a lot of ways, and then vice versa. I mean that's what a great partnership should be. So those are those two guys in a nutshell. But definitely encourage meeting them too. Great, great. Yeah. You um, got this idea of mm-hmm. of creating. Uh, a shared kitchen, which is now we call Bedford Collab. Correct. So tell me about kind of that, the vision, because mm-hmm. you're getting, you've, you've done some, some fundraising for it. You've, mm-hmm. you've had some success in that area. Yeah. You're getting, you're getting started with construction. Tell me mm-hmm. where you are in that process. You know, the whole thing is that it's really interesting with Bedford Collab. You know, if it wasn't for us getting, uh, and when I say us, there was, uh, 10 businesses leasing space out of Island Ice at the time. We were all functioning. Uh, seven were displaced, and three went on to open a brick and mortar. So that, that's proof that a shared kitchen actually does work when done right. But just that whole process of getting started, um, you know, filing for an LLC, which we did for Bedford Collab, um, and then receiving some grant dollars from Habitat at the time that was our fiduciary organization for those funds, and then having to go back and re-engineer the plan. So we did have to go and get our own 501c3 status um, and form a whole new organization. And then we had to come up with some unique plan to make sure that it all functioned properly. Um, so it's been a really unique um, learning how to f- start and function a nonprofit. So it's just been a whole journey. And you know, one of the things is I hope that um, the next generation doesn't have to do what I did and what Merrick had to do. They can just pick up where we left off because to form two different organizations and then run them and where they're in support of each other um, has been uh, quite a journey. But I tell you, I know nothing about fundraising. And, and people say, you know, when I was rolling the tire around Evansville raising money for nonprofits, they would say that those skills kind of translate. And I see what they're saying, but I, I do, part of me still disagrees because I was raising like $500. You know, that's easy. I can go, you can just ask for that these days. Mm-hmm. But with the Bedford Collab Project, we're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's a whole nother um, like mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. And so the different, some experiences kind of overlap with just being, with just having the confidence to go ask for big dollars. But the requirements, how do you ask, all of that is so much different. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's been a journey, you know, one that, again, I, I hope to pass down mm-hmm. so that who's behind me coming up doesn't have to go through all of it. Sure. Yeah. And you've, you, the the Bedford Collab will be located in Teepee Park. That's correct. And Teepee Park's on the south side of Evansville. Yeah. And... Um, Tell me why you chose TP Park as a location. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think probably somebody that's not as familiar with the neighborhood yeah. would say it's a, you know, maybe economically distressed. How yeah. would you describe the neighborhood? Yeah, economically distressed, uh, the bad side of town, a poverty rate. We have residents who are working full time who are still in poverty. So there's two different avenues there. It's high poverty rate, but then it's working class poverty rate, something like that effect where people are still working full time but still in poverty. Um, So it's all those systemic and systematic barriers that we deal with um, at Southside uh, at large, but then just within the neighborhood, Teepee Park itself, 
And so, yeah, um, I, that neighborhood deals with all of those, those systemic and systematic barriers. That's why we selected it. It's the bad side of town. And so what happens is, is people in Evansville a lot of times forget about Southside Evansville. But remember, you have to drive through it to get downtown. And so you cannot neglect it. It's still a part of Evansville, regardless if you accept it or not. And ultimately, that Merrick and I and Jeff were from Southside Evansville. Um, I still live in the neighborhood, and I live in Teepee Park, so I can walk to Bedford Collab. And in the building that we're renovating, I've walked past it my entire life, catching the bus to go to school. So um, it hits home, you know, when you're actually from the neighborhood, trying to do revitalize it and, and work with the neighbors. Um, they're excited. Mm-hmm. But that's why we selected the neighborhood. We're from it. We live it. We see it. Um, we're intrinsically invested in it. Um, I go on my walks in the neighborhood, so talk to a lot of neighbors. Uh, they're excited and they're ready. Mm-hmm. So your hope is that this is, you know, in some ways a starting point in terms of establishing more businesses in the neighborhood, oh, for new sure. opportunities. Is that oh, for sure? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the issue of it is is that that side of town gets labeled with all these negative titles and and, and labels. But then individuals who are doing the labeling don't take a step back to understand, well, why? If you want to remove those labels and give individuals the same opportunities that you would in other neighborhoods, and we can list those other neighborhoods if we chose to. But if you want to help those individuals, shouldn't they have equal access to A, B, C, D, and E? Mm -hmm. And we would then be able to see those neighbors have a better fishing life coming through, you know, getting getting things done, actually having civic pride in the neighborhood. So yeah, with Bedford Collab, um, that it, it's the goal to be a catalyst for more development or just helping the entrepreneurs within the neighborhood um, have access to what they've historically been kept from. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of na- a lot of entrepreneurs in the neighborhood from people, you know, cutting the grass and uh, we have the plumber and electrician, and they don't have now the technical training and the certificates, but yet they do have the experience and the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So you do have a strong, vibrant neighborhood, but resources were kept from it for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bedford Collab, if you will, could be that wrecking ball that says, no, here's the neighbors, here's the support, let's make change. Sure. Neighborhood revitalization is kind of a, I think, a a push in many communities right now. Yeah. And I know that there are several different efforts working in TP Park to provide more resources yeah. and support. What aspects of that revitalization have been really effective so far? Yeah, I, th- I think what's been really effective thus far is an organization called Community One. They've been the backbone supporting organization. That's really how Merrick and I got connected when he worked there. But um, just being consistent with the neighbors um, and listening to the neighbors, that's what's been a great starting point to help revitalize the neighborhood. But now it's like, okay, now what's next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, because I think probably in many less successful efforts, it's it's almost like people from the outside try to impose what they think things should look like. Is that— well, luckily, um, and maybe that happened in meetings I wasn't a part of, but I can. But from my experience, that it hasn't happened yet, and I don't think it's going to happen now with Bedford Collab being an anchor. Um, and there's other organizations around, not only just TP Park, but Southside Evansville as a whole that are doing great work as well. So, I, like I said, I haven't experienced that, um, and, and I'm glad. You know, we don't we don't need that to happen. Uh, out, you know, outsiders telling us, you know, what we need, especially when they don't even show up. 
Sure. Yeah, and then you know, sh- you know, showing up, being there, and to listen, and being within community. I mean, it speaks volumes to change mm-hmm. uh, instead of just driving in, driving out. Sure, sure. Um, so once Bedford Collab opens, uh, tell me a little bit more about the plan. I mean, are you thinking it will be the the kitchen for multiple catering food truck businesses or if you produce food you need to be in Bedford Collab. Okay. So the goal is to have, you know, that shared use kitchen space for foodpreneurs. So like I said, if you are producing food, mm-hmm. you need to be in that space. Great. And when do um when do you anticipate opening? Is that next year? We'll see. Uh, construction, renovation is its own monster, but things are happening, which is good. You know, three years ago, two years ago, we were trying to get renovation started. It's actually happening. So it's like this, at this phase, yeah, we want it done, but we're also just like a breath of fresh air to just see it happening. Uh, but it'll get done. Um, any, We're hoping for end of the year, but we'll see what happens. Okay. And are you still raising money then? Yeah, so our uh, city match, um, we have $24,000 left, and we will be done with that, um, again, with the city match. And then we did come up with this really cool idea for our next fundraiser to be kind of fun, to be a scrap smoothie challenge, Mm -hmm. where what I'll do is I will gather individuals who are interested, um, we'll create scrap smoothies, and I'll ask the participants to, you know, collect those scraps from their home. And then they'll challenge someone. If the person doesn't do it, they have to donate whatever they can, $5, $10, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But if they do drink this movie, they don't have to donate anything. (laughs) So um, in hopes that, you know, I kind of want to see people drink these movies, but then I'm like, well, we need to fundraise. So, (laughs) or they could do both. Why not just do both? That's a fun idea. I like that idea. You want to do the scrap smoothie challenge? I think I I feel like I'm getting pressured too. So I I probably should. Definitely. Actually, I'll, I'll probably just give money. Okay, that's fine. That's fair too. Or you could you could do both. You could get you could go ahead and donate, but then you could challenge someone. Okay, like your producer. Okay, like that'd be fun, <laughs> and see if he wants to drink whatever you create. I don't know what are you. I mean, it's how it's, it's how this challenge works. So, Tad, you would have to create something and <laughs> hope that he would drink it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Count me in. All right, deal. So, tell me, uh, kind of transitioning from what you've been spending time doing, getting this Bedford Club up and running. You know, I think you have done a great job of being a leader in the Teepee Park neighborhood, in the entrepreneurial space, in the community. Tell me about your approach to leadership. What do you, what do you think about when you think about leadership? My, my approach to leadership is really, it, it's really easy for me mm-hmm. because I'm actually experiencing, like I'm doing it. My hands are dirty, so I can talk the talk, I can walk the walk. You know, it's interesting, you think about Bedford Collab, I am Bedford Collab's client. I'm, I'm, I'm creating it, I'm helping to create it, but Turntable is also the client. So I'm able to talk the talk and walk the walk of what Bedford Collab's clients will need because I am that. Um, so for leadership for me, it's because my hands are dirty. Um, I get to help those founders and those entrepreneurs. I get to talk the talk, walk the walk, because I've done it. I've experienced it. I have all the scars to show of it. And so that makes leadership for me a lot easier versus some other folks who think because they have, and, and, and no uh, disrespect to them, but they think because they have their four-year degree um, or their master's that they are just this excellent leader. Well, 
your hands aren't dirty. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times um, I look at individuals who are trying to mentor founders, and I'm like, but are your hands dirty? Because they're not going to be able to connect with you on a, on a, on a, on a more uh, deeper, holistic level if you never bootstrapped. If, if you never fundraised, how are you going to tell them to fundraise? Um, so that's what makes leadership easy for me. I've done it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you, so for you, leadership, a lot of it means like you have experienced yeah. and, and have and therefore are able to apply like those yeah. lessons and probably yeah. you've made some mistakes along the way oh, and you've sure. learned from those. And, and that makes you, you know, a stronger leader versus somebody who just theoretically yeah. read about. Yeah, in how, theory, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of the mistakes that I made was with Turntable. And so, like, I know what to do with Befford Collab and, and can, you know, assist Merrick with a lot of those decisions. But um, when we, when Jeff and I were building Turntable, we took five years. So we, we went the long route. Um, we didn't just wake up, roll out of bed, and start producing food product. We actually built a business plan and went through some courses and networked and figured it out. And then I think year three of the company, uh, to do market research, we gave away like $3,000 worth of food. So like we really was doing our homework first. So definitely made mistakes with the Turntable, but also learned a lot too. Sure. Now tell, uh, tell our listeners about Turntable. What does Turntable do? Yeah, that's the catering company. So Turntable, that's the catering company that Jeff and I, we equally own. And uh, that's our, I guess, firstborn business, you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a major success with with Turntable because we were catering everything. At, at this time, we were 25, 26, and 27, somewhere in that time frame. Everything overlaps these days. Mm-hmm. But we were catering everything. We were at all the festivals, all the pop-ups. I mean, we were doing it. And we got a lot of good feedback, and we saw a little profit early. Mm-hmm. Um, we wasn't paying ourselves just yet, but um, we had a, we had some good numbers. We were on the verge of hiring our first employee. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we were scaling the company, so yeah, we we came a long way. Mm-hmm. And so the hope is then once Bedford collabs up and running, then Turntable will probably oh yeah experience we need to bring back we need to bring back the good food everyone's everyone's missing sure sure very good so as you've uh, gotten older have um, gotten more experience what would you say uh, your approach to leadership what does it look like now versus when you were younger when I was younger leadership to me was just let's just get it done mm-hmm. let's just do it um, but a little older now, I appreciate the phase of strategic planning, mm-hmm. thinking it through, writing it down. But I got to admit, once we're done strategic planning and it's time to work, it's time to work. Right. And we've had all the time we needed to daydream and to talk and to create nice graphs. We have a phase for that, and I'm totally for it. But when it's the green light, I don't. We don't need to go back and go backwards and daydream some more because at that point we're doing it. We're getting our hands dirty, and we can learn at the same time we're actually functioning, getting things done. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about. So for our, for our listeners, I am a, a white man. DeAndre, you're a black man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's it's kind of funny to say that in this space when it's yeah. fairly obvious uh, 
But for the listeners, I wanted to make sure we set the context of the conversation. But I'd be curious your thoughts, like for leaders, how do we, there's a lot of conversation around Mm -hmm. how do we become more inclusive? How Mm -hmm. do we become more equitable? How do we create organizations that maybe traditionally have not been Mm -hmm. very diverse? Mm -hmm. what are your what are your thoughts around those those areas? Because I think your perspective is going to be very different from mm-hmm. what I grew up with. Yeah, uh, for me, white people have to do the work. They have to look with inside themselves and do the uncomfortable work of removing those biases that were taught um, to them, and to get out of their comfort zone and go to a black church, go to black events, have more black friends. It's just it's just the work that white people have to do. I don't really have a long drawn out answer, but the answer I gave takes a long time. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's going to probably um in friendships and, you know, it make people feel uncomfortable because I would also encourage, you know, white people to call out racism amongst their friends and partners and co-workers, that may cause some tension. Um, but if you want to eventually get past this, the, the work, in my opinion, is, is on white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting dynamic for me to even have this conversation, because I think in the past, like, we've almost gone from this mindset 50, 60 years ago where discrimination was still legal. Yeah. Then we move to this period where it's no longer legal mm-hmm. to discriminate, but it's probably uh, yeah, but it's deeply embedded <laughs> within organizations and practices, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And then I think there almost was a time where we we like to think about everybody was the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like in the in my upbringing, a lot of, there was a lot of talk about equality. We're all the same. We're just you know, maybe we look different on the outside, but we're all the same on the inside. And now I think there's more of a emphasis in terms of like embracing mm-hmm. differences. And yeah. so it's a it's a it it really is a different conversation today than it was maybe even five or ten years ago. Sure, D- different conversation, but yet that's all talk. What about the work that has to be done? So embracing, we have to be within close proximity of each other. Mm-hmm. To do that, right? Um, a conversation is good, but are you going to go on a walk and we talk about these things? Are we are you going to invite me over to your home for dinner? Vice versa, do you do we go to equally shared um, events together and talk about these things? Are we going to let our kids hang out together? I mean, there's all these things that again talk about proximity and creating community and being one with each other. Um, that's the difficult work. And like I said, I put the pressure on white people to to want to remove their biases mm-hmm. because, I mean, you think about history, who told black people where to live, where to eat, where to go to school, where to go to church. So I can't speak for every single black person, but I can say, like, if you look at the um, event at Haney's Corner on First Fridays— mm-hmm. Why not migrate and we have a mixture of people having conversation, coming together and talking? Again, it's going to be uncomfortable. Sure. But that's the first step. I sure. Think. And that's probably, I mean, if you think about that area, mm-hmm. I would assume due to some 
gentrification yeah. in that area. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a very segregated event. Oh, it, it definitely right. is. You could stand in the middle of, I think that street is called Parrot. Um, sure. I might have my streets backwards, but I think it's Parrot. Or no, it's 8th Street. Mm-hmm. One of those streets. If you just stood there, it is definitely segregated, mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. And even at that event, I was asking some of my white friends that went down there, I was like, did you see a difference or anything? And they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's just having those uncomfortable conversations where people are in proximity with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. In the in, in a Previous podcast interview, I was talking with Evelyn Rivas, and she um, works as a member of the Latino community mm-hmm. in, in Dubois County. And I was saying, I asked her a question about, you know, how how do employers embrace diversity, attract diversity? Because I because I think that's a question everybody's asking. But like what you're saying is, are are people really doing the work? Are yeah, they really mm-hmm. willing. Yeah, or is it just is it yeah. just lip service? Yeah. And one of the things she said was like, similar to what you said, like employers need to go yeah. where the people are. Exactly. And I think that so often we think they should come to our turf. Yeah, that that's the wrong mindset. And it, what, yeah. what effort do we, we make? They come. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. And what effort do we make to really like go to their turf? Yeah. Go to, you know, and I think that's, like you said, that's probably the action yeah. piece that's that's missing for yeah. us. Go into that space and listen and learn and again work on removing your biases that were taught to you, uh, that were passed down. That that that's the work. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hang a cute poster in the window if you want. That's great, but mm-hmm. the work of trying to actually be with in community and attract. That hiring base that you need which, from those areas, you know, you look at the the three disinvested areas in Evansville. You've got Northwest Side, South Side, Southeast Side. There's your hiring pool there, but you need to go into those environments to show up at those community centers and those neighborhood associations and um, those community events to say, okay, this is who we're going to attract and this is who we're going to meet where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I get it, but if you want to, you'll make the effort. Right, right. No, that's a that's a good uh, a good point. You grew up in Evansville. Yeah. How have you seen like race affect you? Mm-hmm. And is it is it changed? Does it feel different? Is it better? Is it about the same? Is it worse? There's not riots. That's that's fair, but there is still racism within the corporate office. Would still in business development, um, still in helping and under uh, uh, revitalize a neighborhood. Racism still exists. My name is DeAndre, and you know my thing is white men can't pronounce my name, and I it's just interesting to watch them trip over the syllables. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how is my name so difficult? But it's because, in my opinion, you have not acknowledged me. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I th- you can say it. You can spell it. It's, it spells like it sounds, but again, trips no. So that's like a very small example. Mm-hmm. On a, a bigger example, I mean, look at the Bedford Collab Project. I mean, all of the convincing why there and why not the east side or why not downtown or why not, um, you know, any other side of Evansville. Um, so race has always played a major 
um, decision within this this project within itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the question of why there, why put Bedford Collab there? Um, when people talk about, oh, it wouldn't work, it's not going to be sustainable because of the income. But it's like, okay, well, who created that though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, who? And then who's going to help change that? Mm-hmm. So that's why we're going to put it there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, racism and race is always, that's always a part of the decision-making process behind closed doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. So one of the areas I work in, to segue in another uh, topic, is is on strategy. So like yeah. developing a plan. And I mean, the the effort that you've made for Bedford Collab has, I mean, it's, it's multi-years in the making. Yeah. Like, how would you describe, like, you know, maybe the, the strategic planning process or just the how much was written down versus just in your head and how much was, like, you know, really planned versus just adapting to changing circumstances? Curious your thoughts about that. It's been a balance of all of that because, you know, one of the things, like, on my phone, for example, I'm always taking down notes of things to, to mention later. So some of those notes are printed off and given and then put into the business plan um, with like the traveling Merrick and I did a lot of that was tweaked and thrown into the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was simply you know reading articles online, bored at work, trying to figure it out. So it's really been a balancing of all of that. Uh, the plan has changed uh, a few different times back from 2020 to where we're at today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a balance. Mm-hmm. It's all of those things. The plan has not been the same. Since it started in 2020, like I said, we had to form a a 501c3 organization. I mean, that was not in the plan whatsoever. So you have to add that ginormous piece to Mm -hmm. it. So it's been a balance of just staying on your toes. Mm -hmm. Very good. What uh, setbacks have you experienced that have kind of influenced who you are today? Uh, I tell you, the setback. Um, was creating that 501c3 organization. Okay. That was that was a setback because then you had to put Bedford Collab on pause to create that, create a board, establish the budget, all those workings, understand premises of the nonprofit space. That was a setback. Also finding contractors, that was a setback as well. Trying to go through all of that and work through these different grants with the contractors and I would say that all of that was the setback, mm-hmm. uh, but but because Bedford Club has been in existence, you know, now for three, going on three years, like we've we've been on our feet, stayed on our toes, and so we've been able to you know catch a lot of those things early and change maybe. But I would say those would be those setbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you have like been in the trenches mm-hmm. working on this. You've learn a lot along the way. Yeah. How do you how do you plan to use those skills like after Bedford Collab's already open and what what do you think's next? I'm I'm staying focused on Bedford Collab, okay. turntable. Um mm-hmm. I told myself um once Impact Evansville, turntable, Bedford Collab are all functioning. I'm getting off a lot of boards and committees. Okay. I'm done with a lot of that stuff. Um, I've been able to show up in those spaces because I understand that it's a season and this entrepreneurial journey, journey these uh, phases are seasons. Mm-hmm. Some last longer than they should, some are shorter, but showing up to these meetings and, and, and trying to offer expertise for other things, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm retiring from boards and committees. I'm going to say I'm like one or two. 
But overall, I'm retiring yeah. from it because um, I got work to do now. Um, I do want to mentor founders. There's a lot of uh, gaps with that. I say I would pl- probably apply my skills to that, but I'm not going to be um, pushed, pushed and pulled in all these other different avenues. I'm just not going to do it. Sure. Uh, but I can and do want to give back to founders. So like I mentioned before, I don't want them to have to create a 501c3 organization just to be able to fundraise. Sure. There should be an existing nonprofit that says, we will serve as your fiduciary organization, mm-hmm. um, and we can help you build, especially if you're a disinvested founder. Mm-hmm. You know, this, like Merrick and I, even Jeff, you know, we are disinvested founders. We don't have equity, collateral, assets, liquidity, all those things to help, you know, attract angel investors and VCs and bank loan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm not the only disinvested founder. There are more to come mm-hmm. uh, because, again, the sy- systemic and systematic barriers. So we have to do something for them. So I definitely want to give back to them. But, again, a lot of that stuff out in the world, I am retiring from it sure. uh, to focus on the three businesses I have in front of me. Sure. And I think it makes a lot of sense because you probably needed that involvement level to build relationships yes. and to build – yeah, um, awareness for the type of work you're doing. Absolutely. And now, one of the hardest things that I think probably those with an entrepreneurial spirit have, like I mean, you have, is to really focus and to say, these are the three most. These important are the things. three most important, and helping founders will call it four, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I find sometimes like those with like that entrepreneurial spirit, like. Before they even make one business successful, they're mm-hmm. already thinking about the next. And it's like, I mean, you have to achieve some level of success. And then that yeah. level of success, though, if you want to start another business, mm-hmm. gives you the capital or gives you the experience Correct. to Correct. then work on something else. So I think that that focus makes a lot of sense. And disinvested entrepreneurs is something I think is important to point out for people to consider because often we think about an entrepreneur as somebody who like already has access to capital. Right. And and there are many fortunate people that have sure. access to capital, yeah. um, loans, whatever it might be. But there's that whole group of disinvested mm-hmm. entrepreneurs out mm-hmm. there that maybe just because of their situation in life don't have yeah. the the financial resources to really yeah, yeah. get something going. Right. So um, how can we support people like that? You know, there's uh, there's a thousand answers for that question, but the first one that comes to mind is I, I would like to see, just here in Evansville, more pitch competitions. Okay. Um, first place, 2000 5000 10000 because that money can then help them to grow their company from a business plan, from a pitch to actually a prototype. Um, I, just more pitch competitions would be a good start because if they win so many, well, not only do they have a solid prototype or an example, but they might have won enough to where they can have a small bank loan or a small CDFI loan. So, um, yeah, we need a, a tremendous amount of pitch competitions. Mm-hmm. Very good. What are you most proud of so far? Most proud of so far, it's a combination of coming alongside with Merrick and getting Bedford Collab where it's at today, and also um, rolling a tractor tire from um, Evansville to New Harmony. 
Mm-hmm. I think those are the top two. There's more on that list, but those are like the top two that stand out. Tell tell the listeners about the tire. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the official name is the Keep Rolling Campaign. And the concept came from my father, who was battling stage four liver cancer and colon cancer. Now, he was able to beat the colon cancer, but of course, liver stage four, liver is so important. Uh, eventually, um, he lost that battle. But when he was with us for 18 months, he would roll the tire after chemo treatment. So you know how chemo just wears you out, but he'd come home and eat and then take off mm-hmm. wherever he, he wanted to go. And at this point, uh, Jeff and I were catering at this point. So it was cool to be driving home and then to see him on the road rolling the tire, which is really cool. But when he passed away, I got all of his belongings, including the tire. And so I started to roll it myself. Raise money for nonprofits. It's a really good, really good thing I was doing. Um, for, and then created a documentary, uh, which I'm probably going to get back around to releasing. So I did put it on pause for a little bit. But um, it was just really good. Rolling the tire around. The thing weighs 230 pounds. Uh, just spreading awareness for not only cancer, but then just the nonprofits I was helping. Also fitness. I mean, we're spreading the awareness for fitness. And I lost 50 pounds doing it. So it's highly effective. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, that, that moment at 2 o'clock in the morning when uh, a group of us, including Merrick, um, went from Evansville to New Harmony. Uh, Six-hour journey. Six hours, wow. Mm-hmm. What route did you take? We went down 66. Okay. Yeah, so just straight the whole entire time. But uh, uh, we may have to go down the Lloyd because those back roads, you don't understand that how twisty they are and— in a car, you don't know these things, but if you're walking it, it is on a slant. Um, so we may have to go down 66. That's just straight. Mm-hmm. But uh, those back ways down— um, Could be a little dangerous, yeah. uh, some windy roads. It could be. Luckily, we had sheriffs behind us. Okay. So we would have the sheriffs no matter which route we took, whether it's going down Lloyd or down Diamond that way. Mm-hmm. We went that back way. But uh, very curvy streets. But we got there. It was fine. I slept the whole and the rest of the day away. <laughs> it was fine. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on your success with Bedford Collab. Thank you. Also, you know, congratulations. I think the um, tire campaign's been effective, and I've, sure. I've seen a lot about that yeah, uh, on social yeah. media throughout the community. How can people find out more about what you're doing? Go to BedfordCollab.com. I guess and follow us on social media. Uh, follow me on social media, DeAndre D. Wilson. Um, I update a lot, post a lot. So you'll see everything that we're doing. Great. Well, DeAndre, thank you for being with us today. No problem. I'm excited about what you're doing and appreciate your leadership in the community. No problem. And uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. And thanks for being a guest. Thanks for inviting me. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.